السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد so إن شاء الله today بإذن الله تعالى we're going to complete the tafsir of Surah Al-Ma'oon and last week we uh, stopped at verse number four in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَوَيْلُوا لِلْمُصَلِّينَ Bow to those praying and we said that the word wail, according to you know, a great number of the scholars of Islam, refers to a valley in the fire of hell. It is a form of punishment. And even those scholars who didn't specify it as being part of the hell fire or a name of the hell fire or a valley in the pit of the hell fire, they said that it is a term, wail, woe, is a term to denote destruction and torment and punishment and pain. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse he uses it for the musalleen, for those who pray, right? And we said that Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum al-Hasan al-Basriyan, many of the scholars of tafsir, they said that this verse is primarily referring to who? The munafiqun, right? The hypocrites. And I think where we finished last week is I was asking the question, what is the relevance to, of this verse for Wailulil Musalleen to the two verses that have come previously? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the surah by saying, do you not see the one who rejects Yawmul Qiyamah? That is the one who pushes away the orphan and doesn't encourage the feeding of the poor and the needy. So Allah Azza wa after mentioning the orphans and the poor and the needy, He goes on to this issue of salah. And some of the scholars said that there's two reasons for this, two reasons or two reasons between why these different acts of worship are linked. The first of them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that to push away the orphan, to mistreat the orphan, to take away the rights of the orphan, and to not give the rights of the poor and the needy is a sign of nifaq. It is from the signs of hypocrisy. It is a sign of nifaq to do this. But there is also another sign of hypocrisy and nifaq which is even greater. And that is the sign that Allah will now mention. And that is those people who don't offer the salah correctly. That is a greater sign of nifaq. Allah says in the other verse, in another verse in the Quran, إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَهُوَ خَادِعُهُمْ وَإِذَا قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَامُوا كُسَالًا يُرَاؤُونَ النَّاسَ وَلَا يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا The munafiqun, the hypocrites, attempt to deceive Allah, but Allah will deceive them. When they stand for prayer, they stand in laziness. They only do it to show off to the people, and they remember Allah very little. So in this verse, Allah is seeing that one of the main signs of hypocrisy is for a person who doesn't offer the salah correctly. Right? Now what does that mean, not offering it correctly? Well, that's what the next verse, verse number 5, will speak about. So that's the first thing between these. That just as pushing away the orphan, not giving the rights of the poor and the needy is a sign of nifaq and hypocrisy, there is a greater sign of nifaq and hypocrisy, and there is a person who doesn't establish the prayer in which Allah Azza wa Jal, in the way in which Allah Azza wa Jal has commanded. That's the first thing. The second link is that they said that just as this person is someone who doesn't fulfill the rights of the poor and the needy, the weakest segments of society, the weakest members of the community, then likewise this person doesn't also fulfill the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As if a person who doesn't fulfill Allah's rights, then it's no surprise that they don't fulfill the rights of those people who are you know, lesser than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't fulfill the rights of Allah Azza wa And the greatest right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we know, is the right of us worshipping Him alone subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and within that framework of what is considered to be worship, the salah is the pillar of this religion, as the Prophet told us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ra'sul amr al-Islam wa amuduhu salah The head of the affair, this affair is Islam, right? That's the basis of this religion. But its pillar that keeps it upright, keeps it afloat, keeps it straight, is the salah. So, those are the two links that some of the scholars mentioned. فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ and I think verse number four we covered last week. So verse number five, Allah Azza wa Jal then goes on to say, Woe to, the, to those who pray, But those who are heedless in their prayer. Heedless of their prayer. Uh, the salah, Woe, destruction for the people who perform the salah has been now made from a very general statement, it has been narrowed down and specified. فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ is a general statement, right? This is an example for those of you that are interested in more advanced sciences of the Qur'an. There is a science that is called عِلْمُ الْوَقْفُ The science within the sciences of the Qur'an, there is a science that is called the science of when to stop and when to start. Right? And what that basically means is that when we're reciting the Qur'an and it's a long verse, when can you pause and when can't you pause? Right? And often now in the Quran, you know, you have those little symbols that have been given in the Quran. That's what they are taken from. They're taken from a science. So it wasn't just someone sitting in a room and just like randomly putting these places. There are whole books that have been written and a science that has been developed around this. When does it when is it appropriate for a person to stop in the middle of a verse? And if they do, how should they restart? Why? To make sure that the meaning is always Correct, right, and sound. So in Ilmul Waqf al-Ibtida, you have the long verses, when do you pause, how do you restart, and then the end of verses. When can you stop and break your recitation? So if the Imam is leading the Salah, and he's reading a passage from the Quran, it's not from the, you know, from the uh, etiquettes, for example, of the Imam, that they don't know the signs of waqf and ibtida and they, they just stop in random places. And you find this often, you know, like a lot of our brothers who don't know Arabic haven't studied and so on, but they're leading salah, they've memorized the Quran. And for example, in taraweeh prayer, especially when it's a long prayer, and they're just randomly stopping. And you know, for the people behind, maybe they don't notice, but someone who knows the Quran, understands the meaning, knows the context of the story, knows that this person hasn't stopped in an appropriate place, especially if it's the end of the salah. Right, that's the end of Taraweeh and then it's going to be left till tomorrow. It's less so if he's gone into Ruku' and he's going to come back from the second, second Raka'ah and he's going to resume. But there is a whole science that has been developed around this. So for example, now if the Imam was to lead Salatul Maghrib as we just prayed and he was to read Suratul Ma'un and he says, أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينِ فَذَلِكَ الَّذِي يَدُعُ الْيَتِيمِ وَلَا يَحُضُّ عَلَى طَعَامِ الْمِسْكِينِ فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ Allahu Akbar. Right? And he makes the ruku' there. And he stops on the verse, woe to those who pray. Right? Destruction for those who pray. Right? What he's done now is he stopped in what the, you know, what the scholars term as waqfun qabih. It is a, uh, an improper place to stop. It is a, qabih uh, means something which is ugly. Right? Literally, that's what it means. It's not an appropriate place to stop because the meaning has been cut off. Because Allah Azza wa didn't just leave the verse there, but then he specified to show that it's not just destruction for anyone who prays, it is a specific group of people that are praying. 
right? And, and you have other verses like this in the Quran anyway, but this isn't like our topic today. But the point is that this is something which, you know, the scholars, to show you how, you know, how much detail and how much efforts the scholars of Quran put into the whole sciences of Quran. It's not just simply tafsir or simply tajweed or recite in the Quran. There are so many complementary sciences and one of the shames and the problems of the time that we live in today is that those sciences are being lost. These complementary sciences, especially in the Quran, most of us have heard of tafsir, we've heard of tajweed and, and that's about it. These other smaller complementary sciences of the Quran are being lost. Because there's not many people who spend time studying them and the books that have been written about them are gathering dust and so on. But anyway, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala qualifies the statement. Woe to those who offer the salah, who pray. But how? Those who are heedless of their prayer. There are two main, um, if you like, bodies of opinion or two main statements from amongst the scholars of the Salaf. You can categorize them into two main categories as to what that means. The first is those who said that they don't pray at all. They abandon the prayer. That's what it means, that they are heedless of the prayer, is that they abandon the prayer. And the second is that they pray it outside of its correct time. They pray it late. So they wait until the salah elapses, it finishes, then they stand up and pray. So they sleep through fajr, then when they wake up and the sun has risen, then they pray Fajr. They don't pray Asr or Asr time, but just before the sun sets and they know the Asr is about to finish, they quickly pray in the last minute or two just before the sun sets. And this is how they offer the Salah. So the first opinion that it is, um, you know, that, that, that it's those people who leave the Salah, they abandon the Salah, is reported on Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma that he said that there are those people, those who are heedless of their prayer, they are the munafiqun, the hypocrites, who show off in their prayer. And they only pray when others are present, but when they're alone, they won't pray. And he has a similar statement to that, that he said that they, only, they are the ones who don't pray in secret, but they pray in open. And this is an interesting point, because we're going to come on to, you know, like what this means, right? What it means to abandon the prayer, what it means to, to, to not pray at its proper time and so on. The scholars of tafsir from the companions and their students, the tabi'in, the early generations of Muslims, used to consider it a sign of hypocrisy, of nifaq, for a person not to pray except in secret. Because the munafiqun of Medina, in the time of the Prophet would offer salah in the masjid. And they would come and they would pray in the masjid, not all the time, they would be late and they would sometimes miss the salah, but they would come and they would have a presence in the masjid. And they would offer their salah in the masjid. But when they were alone, or when people weren't around them, or it's a prayer that the others weren't present, they wouldn't pray. But if they felt the pressure of coming to the masjid, they would come and they would pray in the masjid. We live in a time now, unfortunately, where there are many of our brothers and sisters who don't even feel that pressure anymore. We don't even live in that society where people feel the pressure that even if they don't want to pray, they should get up and pray. To the extent that you could be in with a group of people and you could say to them that we're going to pray, right? There's like 10 of us, seven of us are going to pray. The other three wouldn't care that they're not praying. Wouldn't feel any pressure, wouldn't feel any sense of guilt or shame that they're not standing to offer salah. Or you have, and this is often seen, 
where the salah is, 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 is being established, right? And the children, maybe someone's dropped off their children to the masjid, and they come and the adhan's been given, and it's time for salah, and they'll leave, and they won't pray. Right? And, and very, you know, other similar situations like this. Let alone the Jum'ah prayer, not offering the Jum'ah prayer, you know, not coming for Salatul Jum'ah, and all of those other things. People don't even feel that sense of pressure anymore. In the time of the companions, it was a sign of nifaq that someone's delaying the Salah. It's a sign of nifaq that someone isn't offering the Salah in public, meaning in Jama'ah, in congregation. Because that's the way the community was, right? And that's the way that the Muslims were as well in the time of the Prophet And then he said also, and this is the second opinion, Ibn Abbas said in another tafsir of the same verse, he said that there are those who delay the salah outside of its time. They delay the salah outside of its time. Abu Aliya, who is a famous scholar of tafsir, Abu Aliya was someone who was born in the time of the Prophet وسلم, but he didn't accept Islam except until the Khilaf of Abu Bakr. So he's not considered to be a companion, even though he lived at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, he wasn't a Muslim. And he only accepted Islam in the Khilafah of Abu Bakr an, But that meant that he studied with a number of the, of the senior companions of the Prophet ﷺ. It said that he read the Qur'an three times to Umar an, which shows you his seniority. Abu Ali said concerning sahun, He said, there are those who pray and they do this and they do that. Meaning that in their prayer they're turning right and left. Meaning that they're not concentrating. They're looking up and down, left and right. And their heart is everywhere except within the salah. Al-Hasan al-Basri ta'ala said it's the one who in their salah is heedless of its timing until the timing passes. It is a sign of iman therefore to always be conscious of salah. That the timing of the salah has come in. Right? The, a person of Iman, a person who is from the Musalleen, from the people of Khushur and from the people of Salah, is someone who after Maghrib finishes, they know that it's only an hour or so left and then Isha will be in. Right? It's the person who when Dhuhr comes in at like 1 o'clock or 1.30, whenever it is, they know the Asr will start around 5 o'clock. And it's always there in the back of their mind. They're always conscious of the Salah. They always know that from one Salah, they're going to go to the next Salah. They're the ones who know that if I'm going to go out, oh, but there's going to be a problem, Salat al-Asr is going to come in. So I need to change my schedule. I need to fake factor into my schedule the fact that there's going to be a Salat time. Do I pray before I leave? Do I pray after I come back? Do I have time? Do I pray on the way? Do I stop somewhere? That's what it means to be a person of Salah. Because one of the greatest objectives of Salah is that our day and night revolves around the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what it means to revolve around the remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jal isn't that we offer salah every single you know, half hour or 20 minutes or 10 minutes, even though that was, as we know, the original command of Allah Azza wa Jal, when we were told to offer the salah 50 times a day and night, which would have effectively meant what, every half an hour or less than half an hour, we would be offering salah. But the meaning of that is, even though the salah is only five times a day, that our day and our night revolves around Allah Azza wa Jal's worship. The remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that means that you're constantly factoring it in. Right? You're constantly, it's something there in the back of your mind. As opposed to the munafiqun, the hypocrites. It is a sign of hypocrisy that they couldn't care less. That salah comes in and salah leaves and they don't know. 
and they don't realize. And they only remember after it's the time or you know after after the time has elapsed, that's when they come to remember the salah. And that's why Al Hasan Basri Rahimahullah Ta'ala also said it is the munafiq, the hypocrite. In Salaha li waqtiha lam yarju thawabaha, when tarakaha lam yakshaiqabaha. The munafiq is the one who if they pray at its proper time, meaning they you know they're they pressurized into praying or they're praying at its correct time, they have no hope of reward. They don't pray for Allah's reward. They pray because they're being pressured into praying. They're praying to show off towards others. They're praying because they feel that they don't have another choice. They don't hope for any, any reward from Allah Azza wa Jal. And if they miss the prayer, he said, they don't fear Allah's punishment. It's easy for them to miss a salah. They don't feel any sense of threat of punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why in one of the qira'at uh, shadha, one of the peculiar recitations of the Qur'an that we don't recite with anymore, but it's a recitation that is attributed to Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu that he used to recite this verse and he used to say, الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ لَاهُونِ Not sahun. He would say, لَاهُونِ Those who, and it means the same thing. Lahu is to be, um, you know, to, to be distracted, right? to be heedless, to be neglectful. And he was asked, what does it mean, lahun? And he said, it's someone who is busied with other things until the time of the salah elapses. They busy themselves, they're distracted with other things until the salah time leaves. Mujahid, Ikrima, Abdahak, Rahimahumullah, they said concerning the tafsir of this surah, there are those who abandon the salah. Mujahid, Ikrima, and Abdahak said, there are those people who abandon the salah. Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, said, after mentioning all of these different opinions as famous of the scholars of the past, he said, There are those people who when they pray, they are from the heedless, either because they miss a prayer completely or because if they are praying, they delay the prayer. He combined between the two opinions. There are those people who if they miss a prayer, they couldn't care less. And they're not going to make up the prayer. And if they do pray and they're late for the prayer, it doesn't make a difference to them either. Both of those categories are considered to be from sahun or from those who are heedless of the prayer. And this is what Imam Al-Tabari said in his tafsir. He said that the strongest of these views is that it, it is both. Someone who misses the salah sometimes and someone who will delay it at other times. Combining between these two opinions, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah said, and this is what it is, it includes this and it includes that. And Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala said, and this is the strongest opinion. So it is someone who doesn't have basically any care for the salah. They don't have any care or any, any type of, of, um, you know, of, 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 of devotion to the salah. So if they miss the salah, they couldn't care. If they delay the salah, they couldn't care. If they're praying the salah, they don't do so hoping for Allah's reward, meaning that they don't do so with attentiveness and with a present heart. And if they miss the salah, they don't, it doesn't bother them that they have the threat of punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it is from the greatest of sins and from the most major of sins. Ata ibn Yasar rahimahullah ta'ala said, Ata ibn Yasar rahimahullah ta'ala said, All praises for Allah who said, عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ وَلَمْ يَقُلْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ 
All praise is for Allah, the one who said that they are heedless of the prayer, and he didn't say that they are heedless in the prayer. All praise is for Allah, the one who said they are heedless of the prayer, and he didn't say that they are heedless inside of the prayer. What's the, what's the difference between the two? What does that mean? Yeah. Okay, so they're not paying attention whilst in their prayer. But why is he praising Allah for that? Why is he saying, oh, praises for Allah, the one who said this and he didn't say that? Because most of us, not some of us, I think most of us fall in that category. When you offer a salah and sometimes you're not there 100% attentive. Right? You're not there always attentive in the salah. Your heart isn't present all the time. You're not someone who's constantly concentrating in the sigh of momentary moments of lapse of concentration, moments when your mind and heart wanders. And so he says, all praises for Allah that he didn't make it a sign of nifaq, that you have heedlessness inside of the salah, because that's something that most people go through, you know, on a common, on a regular, fairly regular basis. Maybe once a day, maybe a couple of times a day, something which is common. But rather, he said they are heedless of the salah, meaning that they abandon it in its totality. And that's why Sheikh Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, said, those two opinions are the stronger opinions. And as for the tafsir, or the statement, that it, this verse refers to those people who don't have khushu' in their salah, that that's not the strongest opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir. It doesn't refer to a lack of khushu', even though I think that there is some, uh, you know, like it is for those people who are munafiqun, if they don't care about the prayer and they don't care about the timing of the prayer, then obviously they're not going to concentrate in their prayer when they do pray. Right? That's a given. But therefore, it also takes away then from the vast majority of those people who do pray and who do care about the prayer, have a devotion to the salah, but during the salah, they have those lapses of concentration, those times when they become heedless within their salah. And that's what Atta ibn Yasar, rahimahullah ta'ala, said, who praises for Allah, that he said that they are heedless of the salah and not inside of the salah. Right? And uh, Shaykh al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, and there are evidence for this, that it's not referring to those people who are heedless in the salah, but rather those who are heedless of the salah, is the hadith in al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Anas, radiyallahu anhu, that the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tilka salatul munafiq, tilka salatul munafiq, he said three times that is the salah of the hypocrite. That is the salah of the hypocrite. That is the salah of the hypocrite. They stop and they stand or they, they, they sit and they wait until the sun is about to set. And then as they see the sun setting and there is very little of it left, they stand up and they pray as if the crow that is digging on the ground looking for food, meaning with that speed, up and down, up and down, and they don't remember Allah within it except very little. Right? And so obviously he's referring to Salatul Asr in this particular hadith. That they don't pray Salatul Asr, but they delay and they delay and they delay. And then moments before or minutes before the time of Maghrib is going to set in, they'll pray so fast as if it is a bird that is pecking on the ground looking for food. So this is what Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes these people as those who reject the Day of Judgment those who push away the orphan, those people who don't feed the poor and the miskeen and the needy and, and so on. And there are those people who when they offer the salah, 
they are heedless of it. Meaning that either they don't pray it or they miss some of the salahs or they delay them beyond their appropriate time. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number 6, الَّذِينَ هُمْ And there are those who show off. And you can see, you know, like from other verses of the Qur'an, that these are different concepts, all of them speaking about the munafiqun, that are mentioned other parts of the Qur'an as well. Right, that Allah Azza wa has spoken about before. There are those who have in their salah, or there are those generally who show off. And in the Muslim of Imam Muhammad on the authority of Abdullah ibn Amr, radiyallahu anhu, the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whosoever does something to impress the people, then Allah Azza wa will bring him in front of those same people and he will humiliate them on the Day of Judgment. Whosoever does an act of worship to impress the people, to show off towards people, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring them on the Day of Judgment and he will bring that person in front of all of creation and he will humiliate them and he will belittle them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said, Concerning these people, again linking it to the salah, there are those people who when they, they only pray when others are around them to see and watch them. And when they are alone and there is no one to see them, they don't pray, they don't offer the salah. And this is also reported from Ali radiallahu anhu that he said, concerning this verse, الَّذِينَ هُمْ يُرَاءُونَ There are those who show off in their salah. Right? And it's generally showing off in any act of worship. But they're linking or they're giving the example of the salah because that is the context of the verses that have come before it. Mujahid al-Dahaq said that this verse is referring to the munafiqun and other scholars said that it is a general verse referring to showing off in general because as we know showing off is, from, is, is considered to be the hidden form of shirk or the minor form of shirk because major shirk is when you worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You divert your worship away from Allah Azza wa Jal to someone else. Right? You sacrifice to other than Allah, make dua to other than Allah, make tawaf around other than the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. Minor shirk is when you're worshipping Allah, but it's not done for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal, it's done to oppress others. So you're praying in the masjid towards the qibla, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're not worshipping those people that are around you. You're not doing it because you believe that they can harm you or benefit you but you're doing it to impress them, to curry their favor, to garner their praise. And so it is a form of shirk because you're leaving it for them instead of doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said, whoever does an act of worship that belongs to Allah, but he does it for other than the sake of Allah azza wa jal, meaning he does it to impress other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that is riya. He said, but that is different to someone who does an act of worship. And then people happen to see him or her and they appraise that person. That's not considered to be riyah. So when it's done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but then someone praises them or someone is impressed by them or someone is inspired by them, that is not riyah. It's when the intention is, is to impress those people. Yes, Yeah, to deliberate, like to, to uh, so the meaning of, of riya isn't that you hide your acts of worship away. Because we know that to pray in congregation is part of our religion. Hajj is a public act of worship. Right? All of those, like many of the acts of worship are congregational and public in, in their very essence. So the meaning isn't to hide away your acts of worship. But it's also not to boast about them 
at the same time and not to show off in a manner that then dilutes your intention or, or, or corrupts your intention and takes it away from the sincerity of it being for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the time of the Prophet to answer your question, the Prophet would often sit in the masjid and he would encourage the companions to give openly as he did before the Battle of Tabuk and other places. So that's people coming publicly in front of all of the companions and giving their wealth to the Prophet wasallam. And that's, in, you know, in essence, quote-unquote, it's being recorded. Right? People can see, people know, people hear. And people hear what the Prophet is saying to them in terms of praise and encouragement and so on. So that's, that's, that's something which you know, is established in the Sunnah and it's not something which is necessarily a problem. However, each person has to be the judge of their own intention. Right? For some people, that's not a problem. They can do that and it's okay. Other people know they have that weakness, right? If they see people, they, have, they want to be praised, they have that, that, that weakness within them. And so for them, you know, it's a different issue. You have to manage your own, your own self and your own, your own heart. Yeah. Because of what you just said, um, there's an action that you, yeah, that you might fall into riyah. Is it best to leave the action or try and fight it to get the reward? If you fear that there's an action that will, will cause you to fall into riyah, yeah. No, so you don't leave the action. What you have to do is you have to fight the you have to fight the element of riyah, and you have to distance yourself from what would cause that riyah. So, for example, if you come into the masjid and you know that oh you know there's people there that if I go and pray close to them, then it's going to end up. find somewhere else and pray, right? Go to a further area and pray. So you don't because that's also a trap of shaitan to leave off the act of worship. This is what shaitan wants anyway. Whether you don't do the act of worship or the act of worship becomes corrupted, it's the same thing for him. So, to do the act of worship, yes, you do the act of worship, but you minimize the danger of riyah and you, and you, you, you deal with, with that situation. Okay, question about the uh, ayah before you speaking about um, abandoning the prayer. Is abandoning the prayer a sign of hypocrisy or is it um, a sign of kufr as well for abandoning the prayer? Is, is, is abandoning the salah a sign of hypocrisy or a sign of kufr? Nifaq and, and kufr are essentially the same thing. Right? Nifaq is a type of kufr. But it's someone who shows apparently Islam, but hides within themselves kufr, right? And so that's why some of the scholars said, you know, like, uh, that doesn't mean that, for example, a person that does this, you call them a munafiq, or that you give them the label of hypocrisy. That's like an Islamic warning that has certain you know, conditions and whatever. That's applied by scholars and by Muslim judges and so on. But it is a sign of nifaq, right? Just as the Prophet said, from the signs of nifaq is someone who speaks, they lie and when they make a promise they break their promise and when they entrusted something they are deceptive right those are signs of nifaq but you know like just because someone says a lie it is a sign of nifaq but that doesn't mean that they're a munafiq right but it's a sign of nifaq meaning it is from the traits and the attributes of the hypocrites and therefore it's something which you know we should we should endeavor to stay away from and try our best to stay away from what is specifically in terms of like the salah those people who abandon the salah that is so abandoning the salah, like this is like obviously a, a topic in itself, and it is like something which is a you know serious discussion amongst the scholars, right? Does abandoning the salah in totality does it take some outside of the fold of Islam, or not? And then what does it mean to abandon the salah in totality? There is a difference between a nifaq is someone who rejects the salah because they don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa taala, don't believe in Yom Al Qiyamah, so they reject the essence of salah as opposed to someone who doesn't pray out of laziness. It is still a sign of nifaq that they're not praying. It is a sign of hypocrisy that they're not offering the salah. But someone who does so out of laziness, but they know that they should, and they know that they're sinning, 
and they believe in Allah, they believe in Yom Al-Qiyamah, and they believe in the Prophet and they believe in the Quran, but just out of uh, you know laziness within them, a, a weakness of Iman and so on, that's a different issue, right? And so we have to be you know very uh, intelligent and very wise in, in in the way that we deal with these nuanced issues, right? And the way that we treat people when it comes to when it comes to these issues. So. Yeah, I know we have a lot of questions, but we only have a bit of time. And I would rather finish the surah than answer your question, sorry. So, because we're not here next week. So if this gets left, it gets left for four months. So Allah Azza wa Jalla says, الَّذِينَ هُمْ يُرَاؤُونَ Those people who show off. Right? So Allah Azza wa Jalla, throughout the Quran, He mentions riyah, Right? We mentioned the verse in Surah An-Nisa 142 concerning the hypocrites. When they stand for salah, they do so in laziness. And they do so only to show off towards the people. It's mentioned in the Sunan of Ibn Majah and in the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Fudri radiyallahu anhu that the Prophet said, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, shall I not inform you of that which I am more afraid of for you than the trial of the Dajjal? They said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. He said, it is a shirkul khafi, the hidden shirk, that a person should stand and they should beautify their salah because they know that someone else is watching them. And you see within the Sunnah, Riyah, as we know, showing off isn't just exclusive to the Salah. It's not only limited to Salah. But many of the hadith and many of the statements of the scholars define it to be Salah because it is the most common act of worship that we perform, right? The most regular act of worship that we're performing. And therefore, it is one of the most likely in which we have Riyah enter into it. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ here says it is the hidden shirk that a person, person should stand to pray and they beautify their prayer because they see that someone else is watching them. And the hadith of Mahmud ibn Labid in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, the Prophet said وسلم, that which I fear for you the most is minor shirk. They said what is minor shirk O Messenger of Allah? He said riyah to show off. And Allah will say on the day of judgment when he holds people to account for their actions, go to those, he will say to those people who showed off, go to those people that you used to try to impress in the dunya and see whether you will find with them any reward. So Allah Azza wa will say to those people who show off in this dunya or pray or act, do acts of worship to impress others on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, go to those same people and ask your reward from them. And we have the famous hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Abu Hurairah that from the first people that Allah will throw into the fire of hell is a person who recited the Quran and a person who gave charity and a person who performed jihad. And each one of them will be brought in front of Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remind them of the blessings that he bestowed upon them and the favors that he gave to them. And he will ask each one of them, what did you do with those favors? So the one who recited the Qur'an will say, Oh Allah, I recited the Qur'an for your sake, and I taught it for your sake. And Allah will say, you lied. You did it so that the people will call you a qari, a reciter of the Qur'an. And that's what they said, meaning you got what you wanted from them. Right? You got the praise. You, got, you impressed them. You got what you wanted to achieve from them. And then Allah will order and command that he be thrown into the fire. And likewise, the one who gave charity, what did you do with my blessings? He will say, oh Allah, I spent in your way and I gave charity for your sake. And Allah will say, kathabt, you have lied, you did so, so that the people would call you generous and kind. And that's what they said about you. Meaning you got your reward of the dunya. 
and then Allah will order that he be dragged on his face and thrown into the fire. And likewise, the one who did jihad, what did you do with my blessings? He will say, oh Allah, I fought for your sake until I was killed. And Allah will say, Kadabt, you have lied, rather you did so. So the people would call you courageous and brave, and that's what they said. And then Allah will be, will command him to be also be dragged on his face and thrown into the fire. Billah. So the concept of riyah in the Quran, in the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, is something which is mentioned many a time. Al Hassan al Basri rahimahullah ta'ala said, Aslu riyah, mahmada. The essence of riyah and showing off is the love of praise. Loving to be praised, loving people to speak good of you, to praise you, to constantly, and because you want more of that praise, right? You you know you 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 ask people to um, you know to, or you you put yourself in that situation or in that place where you know that people will then be impressed and they will you know they will do so. You know, there's, you get that. Um, I think it's a spoof for something, a video that uh, it's, going, it's, it's like an Arabic video that goes around where a person comes and they're in the masjid and they're praying and they're praying amazingly and the recitation of the Quran is beautiful and they're praying so slowly and their ruku' and their sujood is amazing and the people around them, uh, people around this person are watching and they're amazed and they're inspired and they're praising and they're like, that's amazing. And the man in the salah then breaks his salah and says, uh, and by the way, I'm fasting as well. Right? So, it's, you know, it's that kind of thing where you put yourself in that situation knowing that people are watching, knowing that they're probably going to say something like and that's where riyah creeps in. And that is dangerous. It is hidden because a person can start the salah with sincerity, wanting to worship Allah Azza wa Jal, but then when they see that someone else has come in or someone has sat close by or someone is watching, then now the salah changes. right? And now it becomes for other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is, that's why it's called the hidden shirk. Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said the essence of of riyah is to seek this world with acts of worship. To seek the rewards of the dunya with acts of worship. And its essence is to want to elevate your status in the eyes of the people. To want to elevate your status in the eyes of the people. And then he said that the first level of it is in behavior, in conduct that you behave in a certain way you, to try to impress people and garner their, garner their praise. Number two is in appearance, the way that you dress, the way that you hold yourself. And so you try to appear you know, like pious in your dress and, and the way that you know, some people, sometimes you hear, and I've heard this, subhanAllah, and it is you know, extremely shameful when you hear stories like this, where you, know, you go to a police officer or you go to a lawyer or a solicitor, and you say to them, why don't you go to the masjid? He says, because all of my clients are criminals and most of them have beards, right? Most of them go to, the, go to the masjid. Most of them are Muslims. And that's because they have done their, their, their appearance has been made in such a way that it impresses people. But it's only something that they're showing, right? It's only something which they show inside. They still have so many issues. And then he said the third level is in speech. So the first is behavior. The second is appearance. The third is speech. And the fourth, he said, is when it goes into acts of worship, like the salah, and like charity, and sadaqah, and so on. So Allah Azza wa says concerning these people, the munafiqoon, and so on, يراعون, They are the people who show off. And then Allah Azza wa in the final verse, verse number 7, He says, And they withhold al-ma'oon. And ma'oon is obviously the word after which this surah is named. What is al-ma'oon? 
if you go through the English translations of the Quran, and you know we don't really have time to do this today, but if you go through like Muhsin Khan and Sahih International and Professor Abdul Halim and like various like different translations, you will find certain um, you know certain uh, differences in the translation of this word al maun what it exactly it refers to. But the most common one that you will find is they call it small kindnesses or neighborly kindnesses or something like this, right? Small kindnesses or common goodness, right? al maun And that's because the scholars of tafsir have eight different, I think eight or nine different statements concerning the meaning of al maun right? What does al maun refer to? The first of them is that al-ma'oon refers to a zakah. وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَعُونَ is that they withhold the zakah. And those scholars said this because Allah Azza wa in the previous verses is speaking about what? Salah. And often what is jeweled or coupled with salah in the Qur'an? Zakah. So there are those people who don't offer the salah, they abandon the salah and they show off in the salah. وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَعُونَ And they withhold the zakah as well. And this is reported on Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma and Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyya and Ali radiyallahu an and Sa'id ibn Jubair and Ikrima and Mujahid and Ata' and Zuhri and al-Hassan al-Basri and Qatada and al-Dahak. Right, so you can see like many of the scholars of tafsir, including some of the companions said that it refers to zakah. Ali radiyallahu an said it is the obligatory zakah they show off in their prayer and they withhold their zakah. And Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu said that it refers to the zakah. Al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala said there are those people who when they pray, they show off. And if they miss their prayer or they abandon their prayer, they don't care. And when it comes to the wealth and the zakah of their wealth, they withhold it and they don't give it to others. Zaid uh, ibn Aslam has a similar statement as well. So this is the first opinion. وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَاعُونَ is that they withhold the giving of zakah and the giving of charity. The second opinion amongst the scholars is that it is the you know what's been translated as small kindnesses. What do they mean by small kindnesses? Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu was asked, what is al-ma'un? And he said that it is to borrow someone your pots and your pans. Right? So someone comes to you like the common, uh, you know, the modern day equivalent would be to borrow a container. No, when you when you have a neighbor, come on, man, you go to your neighbor and ask for sugar. Well, I don't know why is sugar? Well, it doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, sugar seems to be like the thing that people ask for when they move in. There's a there's a lack of sugar or something. So, huh? For the tea. For the tea. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that's what it is. And someone to say no. Because to borrow someone like some sugar, to give someone like, you know, a bit of sugar in a cup or to borrow someone a utensil or something is something which is relatively small, right? It's not something which is major. So they said this is what it means. To withhold from someone even the smallest of goodness and smallest of kindness. And there's another similar statement from Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu that he said, Al-Ma'oon is what the people will regularly give to one another, meaning it's what you borrow to one another, right? It's what you loan to one another. It's something which the common, what the people will commonly give to one another from utensils and, and other cutlery and so on. And likewise, you, um, you have a, th- a third statement also 
from Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu an, that he said that we, the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, used to consider al-ma'oon to refer to pots and pans and cutlery and utensils and so on, the things that people cannot live without, right? And obviously the people of the time the Prophet sallallahu are poor, right? And they're in dire need. So if someone comes and they need a utensil, they need a pot, they need something to cook in, then they would commonly borrow these things to one another. And this was also the opinion of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. He said, يَمْنَعُونَ الْمَعُونَ is that they don't borrow the possessions of their house, meaning the small things of their house that they would give to one another. And likewise, Mujahid and Ibrahim al-Nakhai and Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahimahumullahu ta'ala and others said the same thing. It is to borrow one another pots and pans. And they don't literally mean pots and pans that are exclusive to them, but they're giving an example of that this is the things that neighbors do for one another. If someone knocks on your door and he's your next door neighbor or she's your next door neighbor and they say, you know, we need, I don't know, a cup or we, we've run out of milk or whatever, right? To withhold from them something even to that extent is a level of, you know, discourteousness, it's a level of, of you know, of, of, of evil and, 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 and bad manners and so on. Ibn Abbas, radiallahu uh, anhuma said, وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَاعُونَ is therefore to withhold from people these common and small goodnesses. So this is the second opinion. So the first opinion is that al-ma'un refers to a zakah. The second opinion is that it refers to these small kindnesses, right? The things that people would borrow from one another. The third opinion is the opinion of Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, rahimahullah ta'ala, and he said that yamna'un al-ma'un, al-ma'un in the lugha of Quraysh, in the tongue of Quraysh, refers to wealth. Right, it refers to wealth, and this is also uh, this statement is also or this opinion is also attributed to Ibn Umar, radiyallahu an. He said it is not to give the rights of your wealth, meaning to give in charity. Right? And this is similar to the first opinion, but it's broader. Right? It's not just zakah, but it's to give wealth in sadaqah and so on. Number four, the fourth opinion is from Muhammad ibn Ka'ab, rahimahullahu taala, and he said that it is goodness, al-ma'roof, anything which you consider to be. A, a form of goodness, right? A favor. Number five, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu has reported that he said that it is a ta'a, the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number six, Muqatil rahimahullahu ta'ala said that it refers to water. Right? Because obviously in the time of the Prophet and the Muslims, there is a lack of water, they're living in the desert. Water is a scarcity right? amongst them. So if someone comes and they ask for water, or if you have a well within your property, or you have a source of water, and someone comes and asks for it, to say no is yamna'un al-ma'un. And they said, and he said the reason for this is because in the Arabic language, al-ma'in, ma'un and ma'in come from the same root word. Al-ma'ul ma'in means flowing water. It means flowing water, and that's why he said that it refers to water. The seventh opinion, which is uh, mentioned as being a, a attributed to Abdullah ibn Umar also radiallahu anhumah, he said that it is to withhold from people their rights. It is to withhold from people their rights. And the eighth opinion is that it is to withhold from people that which will help them and benefit them. So someone comes to you and asks you for something that they need, something that will benefit them, it is to withhold from them that which will benefit them. Ikrima rahimahullah ta'ala said, it is all of this. 
right? Everything. And as we've said like over and over and over again, often the scholars of tafsir, especially amongst the Salaf, when they give their tafsir, it is by way of example. It is by way of example. Not necessarily that it is exclusive to the point that they're mentioning. So Ikrimah rahimahullah ta'ala said it is all of this. The highest level of it would be zakah. And the lowest level of it would be those small kindnesses. So it's someone who withholds from people the rights that they have on their wealth. So that's the poor and the needy and zakah and so on. And it's someone who withholds from others the common courtesies and the small kindnesses that people should share and give to one another. And Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said, after mentioning the statement of Ikrima, he said, وَهَذَا مَا قَالَهُ Ikrima Hassan." This is a good opinion or a good statement from Ikrima rahimahullah ta'ala. And Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala also said that it includes all of this. Right? And that is the strongest opinion, that it refers to all of this. Right? And that's why you know, the most common, I suppose, translation would be, it is the common goodnesses. Right? Because zakah is a right and it is a goodness that you do towards the people who are needy and poor and so on and others as well. So Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said the statement of Ikrimah is a good statement because it includes all of the different opinions that we've mentioned, all of the different statements of the scholars of Islam and Tafsir and all of those statements he said go back to the same thing and that is that you don't allow people or you don't benefit people with the wealth that you have either by giving them their rights if they do zakah or by helping them in other ways if they require from you favor. And he said, and this is, and that is why the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in the famous hadith in Sunan Abi Dawood and Muslim Ahmad and others, Kullu ma'rufin sadaqa. Every form of goodness is an act of charity. Right? So there are those people who don't do any good. So they don't, they, dis, they disbelieve in Yawm Al-Qiyamah. They push away the orphan. They don't encourage the feeding of the poor. They don't pray or they abandon the prayer. They show off even when they do pray or they do act, commit, perform acts of worship. And they withhold from people their common goodnesses, right? The rights that people have over their wealth or the goodness that they should do to them. So that's why Ibn Kathir ta'ala said, concluding all of this, neither do they do good in their worship of Allah Azza wa Jal, nor do they do good in the way that they deal with the people around them. They don't have a relationship with Allah Azza wa Jal in terms of the worship and the rights that Allah has upon them, nor do they do any goodness in terms of the people around them and the goodness that they should do towards them and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best and with that we come to the conclusion of this surah, Surah Al-Ma'un. Before I take any questions, if we have time, I think we have about 10 minutes. So as we mentioned before, um, this is inshallah our final uh, lesson for this year. So QP year one inshallah has come to an end, alhamdulillah today. And I want to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thank him for giving us the ability to come together and study the Quran and analyze the Quran and make the tafsir of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I also want to thank all of you, each and every single one of you who have attended week in, week out. It is extremely difficult to commit to something on a weekly basis. It's not easy. And people who think that it's easy, you know, can say that it's easy, but it's probably because they haven't done it themselves. So it is a commitment that I that is something which is which is which which you've taken seriously. And for that I ask Allah Azza wa Jalla that He rewards you and inshallah I hope that you will be with us again in September, inshallah, when we start the second year of QP Quranic progression. I also want to thank the brothers here. Most of them are here today because it's the last week when they bumped off. <laughs> but anyway, the brothers are like usually come and they set up to Zamullah Khair. Um, all of them, 
you know, like I, I come and I just deliver the lecture. They're here before me and they're here after I leave. And they're here week in and week out and they do all of this stuff and, you know, the internet's not working and this mic's not working. And the camera's gone haywire and so on. And they're the ones who are dealing with all of this. So may Allah Azza wa Jal reward them as well. And everyone who's, who's, who's been a part of, of this journey. What we're going to do, inshallah ta'ala, is we're going to have a break now for uh, about four months. So inshallah, the next year QP will start in September. So after Hajj, so Hajj, I think by the time people get back, it will be like uh, mid to, to like end of August. So inshallah, towards the beginning of September, ta'ala, we will start our next year. In the summer, however, we have some revision classes and an exam. And the reason why we have an exam, and, and it's something which I think is very important. We've done eight surahs of the Quran, right? We've, made, we've done tafsir of eight surahs of the Quran and the isti'adha and the basmana. And it's taken us a year to do that. And, you know, I don't need to tell you how much information there is and how many different opinions we went through and how many different tangents we went on and so on. That knowledge that you've heard and that you've gathered and that you've made notes of and so on, it will be lost unless you revise it. It will be lost. And that's why the scholars used to say of old, take or write down knowledge because that is how you preserve it. But the way that you keep knowledge is by revising it. So you write it down and that preserves the knowledge. So it's written down, you have it with you. But to keep the knowledge needs revision, needs you to go over it. Right? And, and, and that's me as well. Right? If someone was to ask me today, what did you say about Surah Al-Nas all those months ago? I don't, I don't necessarily remember everything I said. It requires constant revision, just like with the Quran. When you memorize a surah, it requires constant revision. With the hadith of the Prophet, if you're memorizing hadith, it requires constant revision. If you're going through fiqh and the different issues of fiqh, it requires constant revision. And likewise with the tafsir of the Quran. So what we're going to do, inshallah, in the summer, probably in July sometimes, so you know, we'll give you like a couple of months off. And then in July, there will be a couple of revision sessions where what we'll do is we'll consolidate the whole year into, inshallah ta'ala, two revision sessions. So that will just be the main points of what we've studied over the past like eight or so months. And we'll bring it all together starting from the beginning, the isti'adha, the basmala, and the eight surahs that we've done of tafsir. And not only is it condensing all of that information, you have the transcribed notes, inshallah, online. There's already a good number of them that are on the portal. And inshallah, the rest will be available soon, ta'ala. Not only does it consolidate all of that information, but it will help you to revise for the exam, right? And the exam, you know, there's no, there's no like graduation, there's no certificates, you're not getting anything for the exam. It is purely for your benefit. But it's something which will encourage you and motivate you to revise everything that you've learned. And it's something which therefore I would highly encourage and, and, and ask you to take seriously, inshallah ta'ala. So if the revision sessions are in July, the exam, inshallah ta'ala, will be sometime, you know, after Eid al-Adha, sometime towards the latter half of August, after like maybe the Hajj period and so on, just before we start the next year. So you have plenty of time, inshallah, to rest and to rejuvenate yourselves and to go through your notes and so on. But we'll also do that for you, inshallah, we'll consolidate it and so on. I don't have exact dates at the moment, so therefore what I would request you to do is to sign up to the email list for prophetic guidance. Uh, if you're on the portal, then your, your email has already been, been duly logged and taken from you. But if you aren't on the portal, then please you know, sign up to that portal or sign up to the, the email list. And not only will you get the updates concerning the revision classes, concerning the exam. The exam is an online exam and it's, it's all multiple choice and you know, something simple. I'm not going to make you come to the mission and sit down in, in classic format. right? It's just online. 
it'll be done over weekend you'll have plenty of time and it's not going to be something which is extremely difficult this isn't to trip anyone up it's not to make life difficult it's simply to motivate you to revise so that inshallah ta'ala in september when we come back inshallah for the next year we're ready right and inshallah what we're going to do is we're going to begin next year ta'ala, with uh, the beginning of, of of qp year two will be um, a series of of I don't know how long it will be, maybe just a lesson or two, or maybe more, on the methodology of tafsir. So this year we cover things like the qira'at and the famous scholars of Qur'an and so on. But what we want to do, inshallah, at the beginning is go through the methodology of tafsir, so that when we have all of these different opinions, right, and we have different, how do scholars actually reconcile between them? How do they choose whether it's something that is complementary or contradictory? And all of those different issues that we've been touching upon, but we haven't really gone into in detail, inshallah, that's what we'll begin with. And then, you know, we carry on from where we left off, inshallah ta'ala, and try to get another few surahs done before Ramadan comes around again, bithillah ta'ala. So, jazakumullah khairan, barakallahu feekum. I know I probably have a good number of questions, um, but uh, actually let me take some now. We have a couple of minutes? Yeah. And then what we'll do is, inshallah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do the next, um, the rest later. Is this the first one, Samiras? Or is there one below that? Anyone have any questions here? Sorry? That's all clear? You mentioned so. about, um, that you're, when a person is seeking grace, um, it's not something that then, so uh, talking about something and then trying to seek grace from it. But at the same time, then, how do you reconcile that with wanting to enumerate the blessings? So we're told that we should. Okay, that's a good question. So, how do you. Um, when you have a blessing, how do you how do you stay away from riya? But at the same time, speak about that blessing as Allah Azza wa says, And as for the blessings of your Lord, then speak about them. Often this stuff comes back to an individual and it comes back to the state of their iman. And every person has to judge that for themselves. So I can, for example, maybe sit here and speak about certain blessings and not really feel you know, like that it's showing off. But there are other things that I wouldn't speak about. And I would keep it private because it's not something which I want to share with people because that's something which I want to keep private between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. An interesting thing that you will find, if you go through, uh, you know, we're coming up to the month of Ramadan, right? And one of the things that you often hear in the month of Ramadan is that the Salaf used to, they finish the Quran, you know, 15 times in the month of Ramadan, right? Or they would pray, you know, all night and just sleep for half an hour. Or they would, you know, fast and they would give so much sadaqah that like the whole people of the city would get something, whatever it is, right? All of those stories. One interesting thing that you will find in probably all of those nations, if not the vast majority of them, is that it is never the scholar himself saying this. It is others who have narrated it about him. And that's for a couple of reasons. But one of the reasons is because the scholars, these were things that were private acts of worship that they wouldn't want to speak about. It's not something which they're, you know, which they're exposing. But their students would see it, or their children would see it, or the people that are close to them would see it, and they would narrate it to others. Not the scholars themselves. They wouldn't sit there and say, I finished Quran and Ramadan 15 times. Because that's not something which needs to be told. Right? It's not something which needs to be mentioned in that term. To, in, to speak about the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you speak about the blessings and the favors that Allah azza wa jal has given you. But then the acts of worship that are private between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you can say, for example, that Allah blessed me to finish the Quran in Ramadan. Right? And that Allah Azza wa gave me the ability to read a lot of Quran in Ramadan. But you don't need to go into the details about how many hours you spent. Uh, and so there is a line between the two. And that's so that the scholars wouldn't fall into, 
either into riyah or it doesn't fall into boasting and, and what people may consider to be arrogant and so on. So, so that's like, um, inshallah, the final. So I think we'll leave the questions. What I will try to do, inshallah, is log on tomorrow or the day after and answer the questions online. For those of you online, barakallahu feekum. I also want to thank all of you online as well. Like, because um, even though I can't see you, but there are many of you online across the world who have also been logging in every week and, and taking part. So jazakumullah khairan. And inshallah, barakallahu feekum. Inshallah, I will see you before September, inshallah, because most of you are local. But... If not, then inshallah in September. Jazakumullah khairan. Wa sallallahu ala nabiya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.